Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on this convergent event. It's a Trader Spotlight. We're featuring Anthony Crudelli today with us. Uh, we're going to go over his history and we're going to talk about his experience and uh, uh, a lot of questions that are relevant to your trading, hopefully. I want to start out by saying derivatives trading involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. The Let's see what's going on here. All right. So just a quick intro, 30 seconds. What is convergent trading? Convergent trading is a venture that uh, just uh, launched last week, and its focus is to bring um, a lot of prop training and trading experience uh, to the public. Uh, basically, it's uh, being offered in two phases. Phase one is a community building portion uh, where there's a chat room that uh, that is treated like a prop room with multiple channels. And in it, we discuss the markets. Um, there's no chit-chat. Uh, there's just market-focused information and multiple webinars a week. Uh, in fact, in the last four days, we've done two impromptu webinars based on the action in the market. Uh, the second phase is the full-on emerging trader program uh, where there's a, 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 a modular course that uh, traders can go through, the same course that a prop trader go, would go through to get backed. Uh, so this is the first time anywhere that a full-on prop program is available publicly in a virtual space. Uh, what is a trader spotlight? Um, trader spotlight is focused on bringing someone in who, who trades professionally um, and we we pick their brain we look at what their experience has been how they see the markets and uh, what's um, what's their perspective on various uh, aspects of the market the goal for today's event is very simple it is to bring a to bring color and a broader perspective to your knowledge and to your view on trading uh, our entire existence uh, revolves around traders and um, and trading ourselves. So uh, I'm interested in learning. I'm constantly learning. I'm trading for 17 years, and uh, I'm constantly picking things up. And uh, it, this gives me a chance to talk to a very prominent figure in a community uh, to to learn more about uh, what's what's next. So let me bring on our guest here, Anthony. Anthony, can you hear us? I sure can, Abdi. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I know the weather's not so great in Florida today, and uh, you're still managing to uh, maintain a connection with us. I appreciate your time for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know it's sunny out, but but it boy, is it windy. Hard to hit golf balls in this. <laughs> <laughs> What's it doing to your hair? That's the question that everybody's asking. <laughs> Well, I have hairspray specifically for days like this, so awesome. I was full of it here. Awesome. So let's start uh, Anthony's background real quick. Uh, he's, he started trading in a CME pit in 1999. Uh, once he put up the money and got uh, trading permissions, he traded for six months before he blew up and had to go away and raise another trading stake. Uh, he's been trading since then. Uh, we're going to pick his brain a little bit about that blow up and uh, and some of the aspects of uh, the relevant aspects as to how he made it back. 
uh, and how he managed to maintain a career since then. He's also the host of Futures Trading, uh, Futures Trade, Trade, FuturesRadioShow.com, uh, and I know Anthony because I was interviewed on the show twice. If you go on FuturesRadioShow.com, you'll notice he's done 187 interviews and 30 minisodes. It's just a crazy number of uh, guests. Uh, essentially, the way I look at uh, Anthony, um, I look at him as the modern-day social media media version of the Market Wizards books. Uh, he's he's one of these people that I track, uh, I follow, and I subscribe to his list because he's he's bringing more, uh, basically, the latest information uh, on what others are doing with whom I have no contact. So he's traded exchange managers, algo traders, crypto traders, all kinds of people, some really fascinating interviews. If you're taking a long trip or if you go for long walks or jogs or at the gym, it's a great show to catch. Um, Anthony has also uh, been a crypto trader for uh, how long? Uh, over a year now, right? Well, I first opened my uh, crypto account just over a year ago, but I haven't been trading for quite a year yet in it. Okay, very cool. We'll uh, talk about that a little bit. So let's kick in. Hopefully, uh, Anthony, we're not going to give you a headache with all these questions, but we're going to blast right through. We have a lot of them. Uh, let's kick in with the first question here. What got you interested in trading? Well, fortunately, I was able to start my career on the trading floor and see what it was like to be a trader. So the, the first thing that got me interested was the lifestyle. I loved it because I was able to come in in the morning, all the excitement every single day. It's Even to this day, I love hearing the bell. And for the first hour or two, because I was in the S&P, uh, that was basically we traded the first hour or two every day, at least the traders I was working for. And then we had long lunches, and then you know we'd come back for the close, and that was it. And then afterwards, we'd go to East Bank Club in Chicago, and just you know the lifestyle to me. I, I really didn't think about the money as much because at the time – I was just making, you know, clerk's wages, so I wasn't making much money, but I just enjoyed being there, I, and I really enjoyed the people uh, a lot. I, I just love traders. I think that we're <laughs> some of the most, most fun people to hang around, so I just saw myself in that business, and, you know, that's what initially got me interested, and, of course, money as well. I saw the money they were making, and, and um, you know, that definitely was important to me as well. But to me, what really got me interested is just the excitement of markets, the people. And as I always say on my Futures Radio show, this is still a people's business. So that's what got me interested. It definitely is. Uh, how have your trading hours changed? You said you traded the first two hours and the last uh, closing hour. How has that changed nowadays that you're fully electronic? Well, now I really wait for the first hour to close. I've talked about this a lot on Twitter and you know even on the show a little bit. I watch the first hour now because how we close the first hour is very important to me. So uh, before, I would say the first probably majority of my career, I, I, I really didn't, I just traded right when the bell rang. You know, I was a scalper and I did that. But as time has gone on, I've started to, be a little bit more patient on the first hour, the first hour which was once my bread and butter because really the order flow. I was really more of a market maker, I would call myself, than a technical trader at the beginning of my career. Uh, so as I started to create a strategy for myself, the first hour close became very important to me. So now I trade 
a lot really the second hour of trading and in any market that I'm trading. So if it's whether it's treasuries or whether it's gold, uh, any market, I watch the first hour. And then after that, that's when I trade. That's when I'm the most active. Very cool. Looking back and having blown up after six months uh, from starting, what do you think caused you to still come back with the belief that you can make it? I mean, having to go through a blow-up in six months, especially in the pit, uh, that must have taken a lot out of you. What made you think that you can come back and still make it? Well, I blew up several accounts, and the first one was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, I, I went through 25,000 three times. The first 25,000 was mine, you know, and I, I've said this many times. I could hear my parents still to this day saying, you should have bought real estate. Uh, and, you know, instead I put it in a trading account. Six months later, it was completely gone. <laughs> but what made me the, what gave me the belief after blowing out several times is, is really looking in the mirror and asking myself, who do you want to be? Uh, you know, and I know after failing, and I didn't really feel like it was – failing. I just felt that it was, I wasn't prepared from the onset. So I looked at it and said, I'm more prepared now after I've gone through 75,000 bucks, uh, you know, 50,000 of borrowed money, 25,000 of my own. I really finally felt ready. And, and I, and I know it sounds crazy, but I also, I looked at myself in the mirror and I just remember doing this, uh, looking in the mirror and going, who are you? Like, what are you going to be? Are you going to, are you leaving this industry now? Is that it? Uh, and I, what gave me the belief was that I just didn't see myself doing anything else. So that on top of you know going through the money and learning from a lot of my mistakes, I just felt that, look, it, this is who I am. I just have to make this happen. I really didn't give myself another option. So I, I feel like I willed myself to, to eventually figure it out. Mm. Okay. Um Having failed before you found success, were there mistakes, errors that you uh, made that in hindsight you feel were avoidable? What what mistakes did you make that you felt like, mm, wish I had known and I could have avoided them? Well, the number one thing for me was being a, a real fierce competitor that I am was being able to accept the loss. And I fought it because when I got down money, I just get pissed off and I would do a lot of revenge trades and that, that, that cost me a lot. So I think that that was the one mistake I made that was easily avoidable was even though I had daily limits, the problem was if I was down a little bit, let's just say I, I, I fought all day and I'd be down, my limit was maybe 500 bucks at the beginning of my career and I'd be down 200 bucks and there'd be 20 minutes to go in the day. Next thing you know, I'd be down six, seven hundred. Mm. And I'm just like, well, what are you doing? You know, like I couldn't go home down money knowing I couldn't make money that day. You know, it just it it really I fought it so much that when I go back or I look back, that cost me so much capital going forward because those were the days I just didn't have it, things weren't working, and I just forced it because I didn't want to leave going going home down a little bit of money. How much of that was emotional? How much of that was just you trading you versus you trading what the market's giving you? In other words, it sounds to me like with 20 minutes left, uh, you were swinging for the fences, so you were trading on emotion, right? Or or am I off? Yeah, no, I mean, well, it was the fear of going home not profitable, knowing I have to make money all the time. So when I go back and look at my career, 
because that was all the money I had, that $25,000 account, and I had a seat lease, and I had to be able to pay to park, take the train, eat lunch, I had so much pressure on myself to feel like I had to perform every day. I also didn't understand that this business, uh, in the trading business, I believe you make money in moments. So I was also trying to make X amount a day, let's just say 500 bucks a day, which ended up being, you know, 10,000 bucks a month and, you know, planning everything out, trying to make a certain amount every day. So that amount of pressure I was putting on myself towards the close was like, well, I got I have to make money today. I need to be able to walk out of here. So it was part emotional, but also part playing games that with myself and like trying to perform on a daily basis. I didn't, I didn't, it took me a while to learn that when I was making money that I would have days where I'd make three, four, five times what I would need to make. And the days that I just wasn't making money or, or was struggling and things weren't working that it would, it would even out. I just didn't have the vision to see that at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you, you covered some of this a little bit. What takeaways from your struggles do you feel best equipped you for eventual success? What, what part of the struggle made you who you are? Um, what did you take away from this that equipped you for the success that you're having? Well, I would say also knowing that I wasn't going to be like anyone else. I had so many mentors and I had so many people around me that were successful in making money. I was basically trying a variety of strategies to trade. And I finally realized that there is no two exact people and that I had to be a trader. I had to be Anthony Crudelli, the trader. I I couldn't be like everybody else that was making money. And when I look back, they were all different anyway. But there were some common fundamentals that they all had. And I started to basically put those things into my strategy. and And I built something around myself that was working for me because I was basically trying to be somebody on a, a, a different on a daily basis. Well, today I'm trading the trend line. Well, look, we're in, we're in an uptrend. I'm buying this. Oh, fibs are working. Oh, they are? Okay. I'm buying 38 back. I mean, I'm an aggressive guy. So anything that someone would say was working uh, for them, I would basically go out and try it. And I was just all over the map. And when I finally just blocked everything out and said, okay, how, what do who am I as a trader? What am I comfortable with in my execution? What am I comfortable with in my limits? And then I started to be able to get a log of what my success was in in my world. And eventually I was able to build on it. We have questions relating to that in a minute. So hold that thought. How often have you felt that you are uh, relearning how to trade during the 19 years that you've been trading? How often have you gone through these rough patches or gone through the process of saying, okay, uh, back to the drawing board, I need to relearn what I'm doing. Have you had that experience? Absolutely. I love this question because I believe that execution is everything. I believe that you will learn how, you can learn how to be, uh, execute any strategy. So what I've learned is that over the years, I have a basic strategy that I believe works. Okay, and I believe that I can execute that strategy better than the strategy itself. So that's why I don't automate it, and I talk about this a lot um, because I believe that I could be a better executor of it. So I I feel that there's always moments when 
throughout my career when I've had to adapt to the new kind uh, of market, right? I mean, I, like I said, originally I would trade almost every tick. Uh, that's just how I was. I would just, at the beginning of my career, I was a scalper. And then I evolved into trading, you know, bigger at you know, important areas. Uh, and then I evolved into trading, you know, medium size at important areas and scaling. Uh, and then it was smaller for a little bit longer term areas. And there's been all sorts of different times where I felt the market called for me to execute a little bit differently. And it was from me, from my experience, seeing how this type of market uh, in the past, because I do believe that it repeats itself. And after I, I call it putting it in my arsenal, all of those years that I was trading, like different markets come back. Um, so I, I feel like my strategy has stayed the same uh, from when I originally developed it, which was, I think it was like 2002, 2003. But the way I execute it is, is always been adapting to what the market's called for. Um, so and, that and makes sense. That, so I feel like, go ahead. Sorry. By that, you mean, you know, high volatility versus low volatility, a bull regime, uh, versus a bear regime, you're just basically modifying that baseline plan for whatever happens to to be going on, and by modifying it, we're talking about execution-wise rather than your approach and your um, way of organizing the market, so to speak. Is is that accurate or no? Exactly. So let me give an example. So when I believe that a market's in a primary trend, up or down, let's just say in a bull market. I look at my buy signals more aggressively, and I buy at and above prices, uh, at above at and above my levels in bull markets. In bear markets, I sell more aggressively at my short areas, and I sell at and below prices to get in. So let's just say, for example, you know, let's just say, well, obviously the S and P's primarily been in a bull trend for a while now. When I get a buy signal. Let's just say the price is 27.15 quarter, which was something I was looking at today. We're above all the moving averages. I believe I'm more aggressive on the buy side than to be on the short side. I start buying in front of that area because there, I believe that there's going to be a less likelihood of me being able to get prices at or below my entry. So I, I'm trying to get in a little bit smaller in front of it because it's a bull trend. So, so if it goes down... How far ahead of that price? So twenty-seven fifteen to buy. How how far ahead of it do you start accumulating your position? It depends on my risk, and it depends on my target. So, for example, if like the other, there's a perfect example is yesterday. I said if we close the first hour above fifteen quarter, I believe we would trade thirty-four. So we closed in the mid-20s. I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was like, okay, I'm too far above it now. I mean, typically what I'll give myself in terms of risk Strategy is – I'm getting it worse right now. But as I'm getting – as I would get that confirmation, okay, I want to be a buyer now. I can't I, – my stop has to be typically um, – it's usually around 50% of what my target would be. So if I start buying them uh, and I can start buying them when I feel I'm close to one-to-one -to, -one to my target versus my stop, it's because obviously I don't want to be outside of that risk parameter. I'm not going to buy 28 evens 
in the S&P to sell 34s when I know I have to risk <laughs> I'm all the way down well below 15, 15 quarter. Right. So I try to buy them where I start feeling that, okay, if I start buying them here, if it goes against me, I can continue to add. And I know that if it goes my way, I still have enough that I, if I believe it will hit my potential target, uh, that I have room to potentially cover even a little bit in front of the target. Okay. So it, it, it's depending on my stop and where uh, I think they can go. Okay. I'm going to push this along a little bit quicker just to make sure we stay on time, but where is, what is your current trading time frame? I use hourly charts for all of my indications, okay. and I use shorter-term time frames to help me execute them. So, so you're looking I'll at use, hourly for the setup, and you're looking for the sh uh, a shorter time frame, uh, like 15 or 5 minutes or something, uh, for the actual uh, entry point. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so right now I'm using six. I always use 60 minutes as my bias of direction, and then I'll look at my five-minute levels, and I have a three-minute chart up right now, and I'll sometimes shift that. The busier we are, I can go a little bit of a shorter time frame, but right now I feel like we're kind of in a sweet spot where a five and three minutes are good, so I'm using those charts, solely those charts, on the same, using the same indicator that gave me the indication uh, on the 60-minute. So I don't change any indicators or anything like that, and I use... Um, that's it. And so okay. when we come, when we pull back into those levels on, uh, for, for example, yesterday, I look to see if five minute coincides with three minute and then potentially coincides with my 60 minute. And once, once I see them all coinciding, those are my entries. Okay. And how long, once you're in, generally speaking, how long are you holding positions for? Well, as long as it takes for the final target to be reached, but I don't go beyond a day. You know, I mean, typically, I'm hoping that it'll happen, the reaction will happen right away to where I will trade a little bit bigger on the onset, take some off once I get to, I'll, once again, I'll use my three or five minute levels. Once we hit the first level there, I will take a portion of the position off to be able to lock in some profit, and then I leave trailer to go to the final targets, and I'll try and hold that as long as it takes. Unless there's a confirmation, something else happening, which would be, you know, a headline or something happens, comes out of the market that's all of a sudden changing my reason not to hold that position, then I would cover sooner. But if okay. not, I try and hold. All right. And again, with a trading style question, which products are you most active in? Uh, definitely S&P, uh, five-year and 10-year ultra uh, are my top three. And then probably goes down to, I trade the dollar and gold, and then maybe 30 year after that, and then really not much else after going down the list. I mean, I will trade crude oil every now and then, but it's rare. And I trade that more of a, on a swing position than I do uh, day trade. Okay. And how has your trading changed in recent years? Now, from 2008, 2009, the correction there, um, we had really good volatility 2008 2009 and then the market started grinding up from 2012 onwards basically in this massive uh, rally how has that impacted the way you trade once again it just purely is based on the conditions so i because i've seen bull markets and because i've seen bear markets and because i've seen range markets so what's changed over the past several years is because we're in a bull market 
uh, and the S&P, as I said, that's my primary market. And actually, in the bond, uh, I would say, well, let's say treasuries and, and 10-year and 5-year have been pretty much, I would say, in somewhat of a bear market as of late. So I'm trading those based upon those conditions. So my style is just, it's come back to trading those types of um, environments. So S&P, I'm much more patient, patient on the short side. I rarely will look to sell in any sort of breakout to the downside. I definitely look more to buy dips when they're available, <laughs> when they come, if they come. Uh, and on rallies, when we're above all the daily moving averages and, and I get short signals, I'm just much smaller and just more cautious. And the opposite goes for treasuries. You know, right now in treasuries, any big move higher, I wait for those days. Those are the days I trade the most aggressive to the short side. Okay. How have you have you adapted new tools or a new approach to deal with the uh, lower volatility uh, we've seen in the last several years? That ties in with the last question. Have you had to you know use different things? Maybe add some order flow type uh, tools or anything like that, or is it still the same? Just a, a different, like you said, different uh, different style of execution given the regime that we're in. I use moving averages now more than I ever have, and I use less order flow because order flow keeps me too active. I believe in this environment I need to be less active because more active for me has hurt me. So what I do is I have a moving average and a five-minute and a three-minute, and if we are in a buy and we're above both, I'm comfortable holding along, and I'm comfortable being more aggressive on buying dips when they get to my levels and vice versa if we're below these moving averages because I've just noticed that markets, they, they trend more right now. So I am, I'm doing everything I can to, say, to stay less active and to have a stronger hand in the market when I do get it. Hmm. Okay. And when you, when you were talking about indicators a little bit earlier, are you, just, you just mentioned moving averages. Is that your main, um, would you call yourself a moving average? kind of connoisseur, is that your main indicator that you trade off of? No. Well, I created my own indicator, and that, that creates levels. And I look at the response to those levels, and I look at longer term, and I work my way down uh, to you know, the shorter term. So I'll, I'll initially look at a daily and a weekly. Where are we at my support and resistance levels? Are they reacting to them? And how are, they, how are they reacting to them? Are they, are they, are they reacting to them in a strong manner? Uh, are they just sitting around them on daily and weekly levels? That then gives me a good idea of what I think the day will trade like. Because if we aren't responding or if we're just chopping around middle levels or higher levels, I've learned that my shorter-term stuff is going to be much – it's gonna, it, it's just not going to work as well. So I use my 60 minutes – to confirm what I'm seeing really in the daily, and then I use the short-term ones to execute more on my time frame. Got it. Okay. What's your favorite source of pre-market information when you're doing your pre-market prep? Where do you go to get the the pulse on what's going on, or is that even relevant? Well, you know, I read every morning before I begin to trade. I read uh, Reuters gives a free basically newsletter and I read it because it's very basic and it's really non-political 
it just comes in and tells me what's happening. So I get a really good idea of what's happening in the market from data and all sorts of different things. I actually read the Bloomberg's. Um, it's like the five things, five things you should read for the day. I typically read those just to, to get an idea of what is being talked about on the terminals. I mean, Bloomberg's got so many terminals, and they have all the pros. And so those are the articles that they're pushing. So I, I, I do read those as well. And then I actually read the CNBC one, which is very basic. And, and I, I do that because I want to get a sense of what the professionals are thinking on the Bloomberg and what's happening generally in the Reuters. It's a very quick read, and then I look to see what CNB is t CNBC is telling retail, and then I develop a theme from it. So if everybody, if all of them are talking about, let's just say Facebook, or everybody's talking about a specific earnings, or everybody's talking about a specific data point, and then I know that there's going to be more bodies that are going to be looking at that, and that's going to have a bigger impact. So I don't use it that for a trade decision, but I just basically am aware of it just in case it, it's impacting the market that day, and I don't want to get caught, you know, uh, not knowing it. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you can, uh, uh, before, you know, after we, we get off here, I'd love to get a link to that Reuters free newsletter so the folks here can, uh, can also subscribe to it since it's, I guess, open to the public, right? Yeah, it's free. It's, it's a great piece. Cool. I'll, I'll send you the link for sure. Very cool. What is your favorite trading setup, and how often do you see it? My favorite trading setup is actually a mean reversion setup after a big move uh, that is still within trend, meaning that it's a, it's a mean reversion setup on a shorter time frame, but on a bigger picture time frame, it's a move against trend to go back with trend. Does that make sense? So, like, if the primary trend is up and I see a big move down, I can't wait to buy that when I get my 60-minute long setup because the primary trend is still up and we finally got a pullback that we waited for. Vice versa goes for the short side. That's that's the trade I love the most, and that's the trade that I, I, I don't get that trade that often because typically when you have trend markets like we have been, you don't see the big moves back into trend that come off of them rapidly, and they're just they're just fewer and far between. Got it. Okay. Um, if one was to look at your equity growth curve, uh, we're, we're all looking at your trading account over history, and assuming you'd never take any money out, is it a smooth growing curve? Like you, you know, this is what I saw scalping. Uh, for myself and all of my traders, it's fairly smooth because you're taking so many trades uh, with yeah. small risk. Or would it be one where it would plateau and then you would have runs uh, where the market uh, gives you the conditions that are uh, conducive to you to your trading style? What, how, how has that been for you? Has it been more smooth, or has it been kind of? You know, I'm grinding along, and every once in a while, I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get the type of cycle or the type of regime that uh, supports my plan, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm making a good part of my income for the year during that that period of time. Oh, I'm definitely a moments guy. Um, for me, I've made my best years, my best uh, months, my best weeks come in moments. 
that all of a sudden everything's just there and I just I've learned just to pound those moments. I mean, that's just that's one thing I've never had really had an issue with is that once I see that things are working, I, I have no problem going all in. So I on a let's just say a normal day, my risk parameters are lower because I know that there's not a lot going on. So as a day trader, I wait for the times to where everything is lined up to, to really put out all my risk. So I don't really have the same risk parameter every day. So if you looked at me over my career, you know, you probably see days, I mean, gosh, when it was really busy where, I mean, I'd be up or down maybe 500 or a thousand bucks and all of a sudden one day you'd see me make $50,000. And it just was like, how did that happen? Well, it was just because that day I was ready just to pounce on them because I knew it was, it, everything was lining up for me. And I just learned that that for me psychologically, that that's, that's helped me by knowing that that's who I am. Because when I try to grind and make money every day, I overtrade. And I just go back to, the, to, to what I end up basically just churn. And, and, and you know, that, that's just over my career that's not worked for me. So I'm definitely someone who I wait for moments and I learn to be able to just seize those moments because that's the time I have the money in the account to, to put it out there and try and make money. And so what that requires of you is to be there all, you know, to be there every day or, yep. you know, not every day, but on days that fit your plan, you can't just kind of show up one day and just go all in, right? You have to see the story or be in alignment with the narrative over a long period of time. And that is, you know, that might be giving you the confidence to go all in when it's time to go all in. Is, is that correct? I believe you have to continue your relationship with the market. I don't trade every day. And even though I'm not trading, I feel mentally engaged as if I am. So I look at everything that's going on and I can tell from the way the market is moving based upon its reaction to my strategy that it's my time or it's not my time. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the market has to get really busy either. So I think this is also something that people I think need to understand about themselves and their strategies. My best days and and weeks and months and years really, I mean, obviously there are certain times where if it's volatile all the time, yeah, that's great, okay, because the opportunities, the price opportunity is there. You know, it's slower, you just have less price opportunity. But over the course of my career, it's just been at times where my strategy is working really well and I recognize that moment. It's not necessarily that the market has to be busy. Like today was somewhat of a busy day. So was yesterday. It really didn't do much. Um, so it's not that the market's busy. It's just how is it reacting and what opportunities are coming to me through my strategy. So what kind of busy rather than just busy? Right? Busy meaning that the reactions, it just hits my level and bing, it comes off of it. it we're within trend. It's the daily, the 60, and my short-term charts are lining up. Or if it's a buy, it, we're hitting it, getting above moving averages, and it's extending. So, like, I could see that from, like, just looking at the prior setups on my short-term charts. Has it been rotating off of our levels? And I could see on the 60 minutes charts that the levels have been working. So I see that the reaction to uh, my strategy is, is strong. It's good. You know, when I see the market oscillating around prices that are important to me, that's, that's right there for me is a big red flag that's saying, hey, man, you better take it easy because they're not reacting to your levels. Mm. So that's what's important to me is the reaction to what it is that I'm watching. Okay. 
Futures Radio Show. Uh, what got you started on doing a trading podcast? How did that start? So I was doing, I believe it was CNBC one morning. It might have been Fox Business News, but I believe it was CNBC. And I got off, and I remember they were asking me something along the lines of about ISM or something like that. And I just remember, uh, and I was at, I was on the floor seeing me at the time when, when um, I was doing the TV hit. And afterwards, everyone was like, oh, that was a good hit, you know, whatever, you know, the, you know after, after you come off the, the live TV. And I was like, well, you know, it's not really what I would have asked, but I, I think that, you know, they don't really ask us futures guys anything that pertains to futures traders. So uh, the production people around me were like, well, really? Well, what do you think we should be asking so on and so forth? And I basically took that moment and I said, you know what? Podcasting is new kind of. This is four years ago. No one really was out there doing it. Um, I said, let me basically bring some of my friends in and let me ask some of these questions. Um, and then I approached CME Group uh, about sponsoring it. I said, here's my idea. Well, you have what some you big think? sponsors. I mean, you have CME Group, you have uh, Trading Technologies, which is the maker of XTrader and XTrader Pro. Those are big names. Yeah, I mean, RJO Futures and Top Step Trader, too. So I went to CME initially, and I said, look it, would you consider sponsoring this? You know, you have. I'm going on TV. They're not asking me about futures. I believe that I know a lot of traders that I could bring on and people to talk about this industry. I've been in this industry my whole life. Uh, you know, what do you think? Worked it out. Okay, year goes by. You know, we look back at it, learned a lot. You know, next thing you know, we just it, it became a show. <laughs> you know, cool. so it was one of those things I just kind of fell into. Okay. All right. So this this is a little bit of a brain picker here. Can you think of some of the gems that have come up uh, during your interviews that have had a lasting impact on you or your trading? Uh, I'm sure through your interviews, you've had you know more than once probably have had an aha moment, something that was impactful enough to your own thinking that it changed. Uh, how you trade or how you looked at something relating to trading. Do you, have you had those moments? <laughs> I have a lot of aha moments probably because a lot of my guests are a lot smarter than I am about things in the industry that I didn't understand. But I think that uh, one thing in, in regard to an aha moment was when I remember, uh, I believe it was Dave Ripley. Uh, he's now the COO of Crack, and he talked to me about blockchain. It was actually prior to my interview with him on Futures Radio Show. I was at an FIA conference. This was over two years ago. And I heard him speak about blockchain technology and the impact it was going to have. And I was just like, wow, this is just, this is a game changer, man. I mean, <laughs> why is nobody else talking about this? That was definitely an aha moment for me where I was like, wow, this is, this is going to change the industry. I didn't know how, but um, I, I, I felt it was like, wow, this is really, this is, I, I have to start looking into this. Mm-hmm. But something that's resonated with me over the course of, I would say, the last year and a half was something that I already had known about trading, but this reinforced it. And this is a very important thing for me. It was that big picture supersedes short term. I bring on a lot of people that either manage money in the futures industry, that are trend followers, and they look at the market uh, uh, you know, similar to us in a lot of ways, but because they're not as active, their mindset is a little bit different in the way that they execute, of course, right? Because it's just not the same. 
And when we get to critical areas, I've always looked at highs and lows when we break out. I'm always looking for that little bit of extra gravy if I'm into a position. And I'm always quick out after a new high or low is made or for crossing a 200-day moving average or something that I believe has big picture importance. I would always be in that little shimmy shake after that higher low was made, and then all of a sudden the market would move big and continue to move big in that direction. And what I learned was from, from doing so many interviews was that these people are later to the scene than we are. <laughs> I'm there right away. I'm looking for the move to happen right away, and if it makes a new low or a new high and it comes right back into the range, I'm always quick to be out of my position, uh, you know, especially if it's near an area of my strategy, and I never really make hold that runner through. What I've learned to do even more so than I did earlier in my career was that if I believe that area has big picture implications and I've already got a trade on that's a winner into that area, I just scale it back down and I try to hold it for a longer period, a longer target I have. So that's something that's resonated with me is just thinking about what the bigger picture people are doing when we get to bigger areas. So so what you're saying based on that is because you are looking at things in a, on a shorter time frame, you're getting in and out when the bigger time frame, who's also looking at your trade and your direction, are getting in later. And by the time you get out, that's when they're actually reacting because exactly. they're using a slower, um, a slower indicator, slower indication to, to enter. Okay, that's very good. What are your biggest pet peeves when it comes to trading? Uh, these are things you hear others say relating to trading uh, that make you cringe. Uh, you tweeted one, but I'll let you answer. Um, what was the one that I tweeted? You said, uh, I think it was yesterday. Uh, no, was it yesterday or the day before? You know, when the market sold off. I believe it was Monday. You said um, oh, yeah. you love how everyone every has to come up with an explanation for every market drop. <laughs> and what and, yeah, what, I mean, and that it is pointless. There's just no accountability, and there's just no accountability beyond it. It's like today we're down because of Facebook. Yeah, that may be true, but the next day if we're up and Facebook is down, are we up because of what? I mean, that is something that obviously does bother me because I just think it's bad education for newer traders that don't understand that, yeah, it might have a short-term impact, but you still have to go back to what you're doing, and you just can't be you know, piling in short NASDAQ today because you think that because Facebook's going down, that's ultimately you know, the reason why the market's going to go down and stay down. And, and Facebook gets below its 200-day moving average and, and whatever. But a pet peeve of mine that I think is something that really does bother me is when people say, Never add to a loser. That's one of the rules they have. You know how many losers I've added to in my career? I, I, don't, I don't know how someone could be in this business and expect their first entry to be so good that they never add to that trade when it's against them. It, I, it just blows my mind because I have a range of execution. There's no possible way I have ever picked I said this before, if we're in a bull market and I have a, and I want to be long, I buy small first in front of my area to hopefully get a price opportunity closer to where I want to buy them and then I'll buy them bigger, but I'm adding to a trade that's a, a losing position at that moment. But I have a range of execution. Anybody who believes that they could find the perfect entry that they're going to get all of their position in and never add when it goes against them, I just think that that's just the worst advice 
uh, out there, and I just it's never made sense to me. So that advice is intended for those who are all in, all out, and mainly online traders who trade for themselves. What you're talking about, which is what most professionals do, is you are scaling in, scaling out. Scaling in and, and, and averaging down or adding to a loser are two different ball games. You're coming in with a plan that you are going to keep buying on a falling market within a range, a preset range, with a preset risk limit. Uh, I think that advice is more for, uh, you know, the market's gone against me and I bought them higher, now they're lower. This is a better price. I'm just going to keep adding. I don't have a plan for this trade, but I'm just going to keep adding. And that's intended, I believe, to, to keep people out of uh, trouble. But most professionals uh, aren't, you know, all in, all out. Most professionals are working a position around a zone. They don't trade. People don't trade a level. They trade a zone, at least in my experience. And that goes for spreaders. It goes for option traders even. Um, you know, that's the case. The next question relates to a new category called to trade as a career. And I think it's of special interest to those listening in. If you are backing a new trader, what do you think is the minimum amount of capital you would have to put up? If I was backing a trader, the minimum amount of capital I would have to put up. Well, I've backed several traders over the years, only personal friends of people that I that I know. Um, when I sit back and I think about that right now, the minimum amount, so let me put it this way. I would put up, I believe, the amount of capital it needs for them to be able to trade a minimum of three contracts without using, you know, any sort of day margin. So let's just say if it's, let's just say if the margin's $5,000, just to make it simple. Um, they need to be able to trade comfortably three lots. So let's just say 15,000 and let's take out another 10,000 to make sure that they're not, you know, below that 15,000 number right away. So let's just say $25,000 and to give them the ability to trade three contracts, because I truly believe that learning how to trade by just trading one lots is too difficult because you need to be able to identify when you're trading closer to a stop that potentially you can trade multiple contracts and still be within your risk per trade without having to think about it. Because if you're only a one-lot trader, you have to pick a perfect price. This goes back to adding to losers to me. Uh, you know, I'm never going to pick the perfect price to get in. I need to have a range, and I need to have a risk parameter tacked onto that range. So there's two parts to it. So if I in backing someone, I believe that they need to have enough money to be able to know when to trade small or one lot because maybe that's the only price they feel they can get or that's the price they're going to take or it's because it's a wider stop. Or they could be able to trade two or three contracts closer to the stop, potentially risking the same amount they were risking on that one lot with a wider stop. Okay, that's that, what makes, I believe. that makes sense. So for everybody that that's listening, the current margin, the current exchange margin uh, for the ES right now, $6,380 per contract. So in this case, it would be closer to, uh, what is that, 17, $17 $19,000 for the three contracts. And you know what's funny is um, every person I backed, I put up $25,000, which is the number you hit. 
Um, and, and I've always said that that's really what you need to do this in a way that is, um, that is career sustainable. Uh, it, because the, the, prob- the odds of, of, of being able to take as many trades as you can so you can learn, you could sit in front of the screen for 10,000 hours, you know, from that tipping point book. Um, it won't teach you as much as executing, uh, you know, a thousand trades or something like that. And and for that, you do need capital and you need to be able to, to live through your mistakes. So the, arriving at the 25,000 uh, is interesting. And I do, I do recommend just like you to trade uh, the full exchange margin per contract. Now, the notional value of the S&P where it is now, at 2700 is $2,700 times 50. That's the value of the S&P. You don't have to have that to trade it, but uh, putting up the exchange margin is a good place to start. Next question, how long would you give it before you expect this trader to start turning a profit in your prop account? What is a reasonable amount of time you would give someone who's tying up your $25,000 to make a turn and to start making money? What would you anticipate? No less than a year. No less than I, a year. No, no way for me. I mean, because I just don't believe that they've seen enough in a short amount of time, in three, four, five, six months, to have any. I, I need to see how they're reacting to you know, market changes. They need to be able to, when they're trading live money, I believe that uh, they're going to go through <sighs> you know, a, a, a lot uh, during a 12-month period, uh, they're going to see several different types of markets during that time. And from that point, I believe that they can now go back and say, hey, I remember this is how I reacted then. And they start they start building themselves up their confidence to be able to, to execute better. So for me, if it's my dollar, I look at it and say, I'm giving that this, this money to this person. I don't expect them to start turning the, the corner and making money for a year at least. And that's, that's under your... Supervision? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, if they do it sooner, great. Then you've got someone who gets it sooner. But I would set my expectations at a year. I'm not saying it will take someone that long. It could take someone a shorter period of time. My expectations, I wouldn't set myself up for, for failure on that person to say they're going to be able to, uh, you know, turn a profit in three months. I mean, it also depends on their experience. I mean, I'm talking about someone who's never traded, who's done nothing, and they're going into this. I mean, I think that they need some trial and error. If they've been demoing for a period of months, if they've been sitting with me for a period of months prior to that, then maybe I would take that time a little bit down. But if it's from day one, I would say 12 months. What's the product you'd put them on? I would say it's based upon their personality. You know, I would never pick a product for anyone because I don't believe that anyone um, can choose a product until they identify who they are as a trader. Like I struggle with – this is why I don't trade a ton of crude oil. I don't trade a lot of gold. I don't trade a lot of like Russell or NASDAQ because the way they move does not fit my personality. I like price – response when it hits a level that means it means a lot to me so I like treasuries more and S&P because the books are thicker some people don't like that but I could trade as big as I want I'm never gonna get bigger than the book 
And I also know that when it hits a level, the, the, the meaning of the response is greater. I look at that NASDAQ, it hits a level, it comes off it before I can even get in and I'm pretty fast or it goes through a level 10 handles and it comes back through it and it's like okay what did that work so I don't like too much fluctuation I like just enough and I and I think that for any person out there you know you just heard what I like you have to see what you like some people like that um, those markets that move really fast I, I just okay. think that you have to identify as a person and, and not let anyone tell you what you should be trading, and what fits best in, into your profile. Okay. We're running out of time, and I've been injecting the questions that have been coming along uh, in the conversation. Uh, so we, we're going to try to speed things up a little bit. I'm going to give you a scenario, a very dear person to you, say uh, your son, daughter, niece, nephew, somebody who's really, really important to you, comes to you and says they want to learn to trade. What would you prescribe to them in order to make it as quick and productive a path as possible? How would you tell them to approach the markets? Well, it goes back to my experience. I would say, how competitive are you? You know, what do, what do you are you able to accept loss? You know, I would basically speak to them and and find out uh, what I think are important characteristics that they need. They 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 can be competitive. We want that. I'd want that. But I also want them to know that when they lose, to lose with dignity. And, you know, not be a sore loser. I think sore losers struggle in this business. I mean, that would be the number one thing I would find out first. And, you know, what's their what's their temperament? You know, how do they react under pressure? You know, go play golf with them if they play a sport. See how they play or react when they're in a, in a tournament. See how they react when you're playing for money. Uh, and I would do that type of evaluation. And I would say learn how to deal with that type of pressure because what you think you are prior to dealing with pressure is not really who you are. Okay. Um, what characteristics, if you had to put out a job ad for being financially backed by Anthony Crudelli, what are the characteristics or attributes you would be looking for in a trader? <laughs> it's, you know, so, um, so let me use an athlete because I think that this is probably the easiest way. So, like, you look at Tiger Woods. He's coming back. He's the easiest person for me to say this guy would be a great trader. Why? He's super competitive. Number one, he doesn't like to lose, but when he's wrong, you see him on the other day. I mean, obviously, he gets a little bit mad, but he gets composed quick. Okay, that to me is very important. That's the number one trait I want to see as a trader. Yes, you want to win. Yes, you want to have that spirit of, of winning, that competitiveness. But when things don't go your way, how do you react? Because it's not the trade you made that lost money that gets you out of this business. It's what you do after that happened, at least in my experience. Okay. Um, that's a good one. Lightning round. Let's talk crypto for a minute. What coins have you gotten involved in in the past? I've bought Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Okay. When did you get involved in uh, blockchain and crypto? When was your first, you said you're, you've been looking at them for some time, but you didn't trade them until some point within the last year. When did you get involved? The first week of August is when, my, when I made my first trades, uh, and, I, and I bought Bitcoin then. Okay. Of last year, 2017. Why did you decide to get in? Was it all the hype, or did you see something, know something? Well, you know what it was is I just kept kicking the can down the road, and what made me finally decide to get in was just I said, 
you know, just buy a small amount, see what it feels like to be in. Once I get the feel for it, I started to trade it a little bit more actively. So it was just kind of like my moment to be like, okay, just do it. Okay. And what's been the outcome so far? So assuming you got in in August, you're still holding up pretty good. <laughs> well, no, I haven't hold them. I didn't hold them. Then that this is where it comes into. Believe me, I wish I did. Okay. <laughs> no, but um, so I think the future side of me hurt me for this because I saw gains right away when I bought Bitcoin. So I got out, and then I bought it again, and then I got out, and then I bought it again and got out, <laughs> and I was making little bits and pieces along the way because I had no way to understand how high or far it could go. I had no vision for it. I was purely trading it on a, on a basis where it's like, okay, go what my way, I'm covering. And I was doing some charting for it. And I was just looking at it going, this is just, I have no idea where this thing can go. And, and every time I was covering, I'm like, okay, let me wipe the buy and back lower. And it just kept exploding. So I kept trying to buy pullbacks. <laughs> and I just, every time they'd go my way, I'd cover. So I think as a futures trader, as someone who's been a day trader, that's why I don't do my own investments. Uh, you know, when it comes to, to my personal stuff is because the day trader in me, the future trader in me hurt me in this. And the outcome has been I've made a little bit of money buying dips, and, and that's about it. Okay, very cool. What coins, uh, alts are you looking at currently? Are you thinking of jumping in to, you know, NEO or, you know, Z coin or something like that? Is there anything that's on your radar right now, or have you kind of uh, looked away for the moment? Well, I'm always looking at it, but the problem is everything that I've been looking at lately has been giving me a short setup. So really now I've learned that, okay, I'm going to be just buying these based upon the chart. I stopped looking at names. So what I was doing was just scanning a few of the majors, you know, a handful or more from Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ripple, like you named some as well. And I'm waiting for chart patterns that make sense for me to, to, to buy them. And I'm going to try and just execute you know, them based off the chart pattern, not necessarily off of buying holding a name because I think it'll be something okay um, what is your outlook on crypto trading uh, crypto for trading just trying I think it's, it's going to be huge I think it's going to be really big um, I think that it's the new frontier we don't know what's we don't know what it's going to be I, I, I think that now that it's on TT is huge I'm looking forward to uh, uh, you know, trading it more actively. Now the TT has it as well because it's right in my backyard. It's something I've used for many years. I didn't like any of the execution platforms prior to TT. thought they were really junky, but now that TT is getting involved, I just think that, you know, I think it's going to be really big. I don't, I don't know how big, but I do believe as an electronic trader, I look at it and I just say, I'm just going to start trading a pattern. Before I was like trying to buy Bitcoin. Oh, it's Ethereum's going to be the one. And I'm just looking at it. I was just going about this the wrong way. Stick to what I know, trade it. And that's it. And I just think that they're going to be an asset class that people trade. Do you think uh, investing-wise uh, it's the same? It's something that uh, blockchain is something that people should have in their portfolio at some point? I do. But, you know, I think it depends on each different person. But, you know, for me, it, this goes back to me being a future trader has hurt me on this aspect. I do believe I do want to own some uh, something of the of blockchain. Am I just going to own Bitcoin and just sit there and watch the price action and forget about it? <laughs> I'm not built that way, FT, but I guess in some ways I have to retrain myself and maybe just devote a few bucks to it. But it's one of those things. It's just, you know, <laughs> um, I, I am trying to, to do that, but I just haven't done it yet. Cool. Um, if you weren't making money on uh, owning coins themselves, would you be bullish, long-term bullish in the technology? I mean, what we have here is just a race 
with a thousand different coins and any one of them could be the, the next currency. Do you think this is at this point in time, um, even if you're not in a coin, uh, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, do you think the, the, the overall technology is something you'd be bullish on? It sounds like you would be. A hundred percent. I have almost no doubt in my mind. Maybe that's why it won't work, but I am around people at all these shows you know, for a majority of my career in this industry, I was only around traders, and we all know how traders are. We're skeptical of everything. You know, it's just kind of the way we're, at least my my circle, it's kind of how we're built. You always look at everything, oh, this stock can't keep going higher, and whatever. But I, I, the technology itself, and I surround myself by people that are much smarter than I am, and when I travel shows and I talk to people, I just don't see this going away, and they're investing real money into it. So in my opinion, it's here to stay, and it's – it's only going to gain ground from here. Okay. That wraps it up. I hope you're uh, you, you held up really good there. I, you're on top of it. Uh, I hope that uh, I hope that everybody was able to keep up and, and gain some insight from a professional trader with, with a lot of experience. Uh, Anthony, I, I, there there were some questions we did ask the questions as we went along that we felt were relevant. If your question was not answered. We're going to scour through the questions and, uh, and and see if we can answer them to you individually. Uh, but I want to take a moment since our time is up and just express my deepest gratitude and appreciation for you taking the time to share your wisdom with us. Uh, you've been awesome. I know this is uh, not, uh, uh, not something you do typically, so I appreciate you coming on. More ad for you anytime. I wish you all the best with convergent trading, and I know it'll be great because <laughs> I've had you on the show. I've spoken with you uh, many a times. You're a great person. I really appreciate you, everything you do for the trading community, and I welcome uh, uh, you're welcome on my show anytime. And I'd love to come back on, uh, uh, and do this again with you. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay, everybody. Uh, for those of you who want to keep uh, following Anthony's work, uh, please take a look at futuresradioshow.com. Uh, the reason I, I'm plugging it here is. Not because he pays me, he doesn't. Uh, it's because I've learned a lot from the interviews. I mean, some of the interviews he's done with, um, especially on crypto, have been very, very interesting. I mean, these people are very, very knowledgeable, and they're deep into what I suggest. You go to futuresradioshow.com, futuresradioshow.com, and, uh, and just grab a few episodes that uh, look interesting to you. Also, you can follow Anthony on Twitter. Uh, he's, he's an interesting follow because he'll talk about the market, but also a lot about golf and his hair uh, at twitter.com forward slash Anthony Crudelli, twitter.com forward slash Anthony Crudelli. Uh, the links will be in the show notes on the site once the video is posted. The broadcast is recorded and it will be sent to you via mail, email, uh, so you have a chance to go back and review it. Anthony, thanks again for coming on and thanks to everybody for being with us this evening. Take care.